I'm Danae King, and this is The Storytellers Project. True stories, real people, recorded live on stage. Our second live show in Columbus is coming up on June 15th. Get your tickets now at dispatch.com slash attend storytellers. Today, you'll hear from James Fuqua from our March 9th show with the theme Growing Up and his story called The Neighborhood That Raised Me. Enjoy the show. For those of you who do not know me, my name is James Fuqua. I have the privilege of being the public information officer, fancy word for a spokesperson for the Columbus Police Department. I've been, thank you. I've been serving proudly for 17 years, and um, it's very unique because I typically never tell my story. So I'm definitely very honored to tell a little bit about my story tonight. Most times when people see me, obviously, I actually communicate with Danae and, and Holly, who will be closing us out very regularly, that it's always negative stuff. So this is just a little peek behind me personally that I can actually separate myself from my job for once. So I'm a proud, born and raised Columbus native, Southside. And growing up on the Southside, I had two different lives. First, I grew up in German Village. Life was good. I had a mother and father in the home. Everything was great. But unfortunately, my father had a lot of mental health issues, and we're talking the early 90s when, specifically in the black community still today, to be quite honest, mental health issues are really not addressed like they should be. And unfortunately, at the age of 12, my father committed suicide. So I was left with, I'm the oldest of uh, four siblings, and because of that, we had to move to the other south side. So we went from as you know, west of Parsons to the east of Parsons, which I don't know if you know, but uh, when it gets a little dark, when you get, you're going down Whittier and you're not in German Village anymore, it's not the same south side. But uh, needless to say, we, we, we had to move over there. And um, the thing that really struck me, now I was a very soft kid. Um, like I said, I, I had a very privileged life prior to my father's passing, but once he passed away, unfortunately, my mom had to work multiple jobs as a single parent, and I was the oldest of the siblings. So I took a lot of pride in trying to do whatever I could, odd jobs, cutting grass, washing cars, whatever I could do to help my mother and my siblings survive. So as you know, in the early 90s, it was very, very rough. Chris talked a little bit about it in his story. Um, a lot of gangs, a lot of violence, drive-by shootings, prostitutions, drugs, all these things. Just It was just a challenge to walk from the house to the corner store and back. And I often talk about I'm truly a statistical miracle because by the age of 16, I had been shot, stabbed, and robbed at gunpoint, all separate incidents, all within one mile radius of my house. So yeah, it was pretty rough. No, no, don't be sad. I'm still here. I'm still here. It's all good. I promise. It's all good. But I tried so hard to stay out of the negative things within the neighborhood. But unfortunately, just like Chris said, there are a lot of influences that that come about. And like I said, my mom didn't have a lot of money. And we literally, for any of you who have ever had real struggle in the wintertime, there was a lot of opening that oven and just letting that heat permeate through the house because we just didn't have heat to go on. So not only not having a lot of money, but... I didn't have the best clothes either, and most of my friends were either in a gang or sold drugs. So I desperately, desperately wanted to help my mom. But here's the thing about growing up. 
it's so important to me where I came from, and I'm so thankful, even though I know a lot of my friends participated in a lot of illegal activities and a lot of bad things. We'll kind of circle back to that shortly. So I just wanted a new pair of Air Jordans. That's all I wanted. I wanted a new pair of Air Jordans, and I wanted to help my mom put turn the lights back on. So like I said, a lot of my friends were, were drug dealers and gang members, and I said, please, 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 just let me sell some drugs. I don't care what kind of drugs they are. Just I know you guys make a lot of money. Just give me something. I watch y'all stand in front of the corner store. can't be that hard. So they're like, okay. So one of them said, okay, I tell you what, we'll give you just a little bag of marijuana. If you can just go to that corner store and wait for this guy and you sell this bag of marijuana, we'll give you money so you can do your thing. Now, for a lot of you, you may not know there are a code in the streets and my neighborhood knew that I was different. They knew that I wasn't a bad kid. I really didn't have the DNA to be a gang member or a drug dealer. But I took that bag of marijuana because I really wanted those Air Jordans. So I run to the corner store. I'm like, oh, this is easy. So I post up, put my foot on the wall, have my hands out, trying to look like a drug dealer. And uh, within two minutes, a police cruiser comes down Whittier. I'll never forget. They probably didn't even really look at me, but I stared that cruiser all the way down. My eyes got this big, and I ran back to my friend's house, and I threw the bag of marijuana at him, and I said, this is stupid. I can't do it. And by this point, some of my other friends were there, and they were all waiting for me to come back because they knew I wouldn't do it, and they were dying laughing. And the best part of the story is, oh, no one was really ever going to buy from me because it was a bag of oregano and not even real marijuana. Yeah. So my point is, even the streets have a code. So a lot of times, like I said, growing up, I wasn't a fan of the police. No one really that looked like me in my neighborhood were fans of the police. So usually when they would ride by, I would give them the one finger salute. And I think we know which finger that was to show my appreciation or lack thereof for police. Um, didn't really like them, didn't trust them. And uh, really never did anything other than try to be a four minute drug dealer. That didn't go very well. And um I'll never forget, this was the number one moment that made me distrust police, and I said, I will never deal with them ever. We got out of school early. We had an electrical issue, so we were super excited. It was a warm spring day. We go home. Me and my buddy were sitting on my porch, 1153 Wilson Avenue, where I lived, and we're just sitting on the porch, minding our own business, and the uh, police helicopter was flying around, which was kind of odd. Normally, it was only at night, but it was flying early in the day. And for anybody who knew in that era, we refused to call the police helicopter that. We called it the ghetto bird. So if you never heard of that, the ghetto bird was the nastiest thing that we wanted no part of, right? So the, the, the ghetto bird is just swarming, and they're getting lower, and it's getting louder, and I can't figure out why it looked like the pilot was looking directly at me. And it was warm, and anybody that knows anything about helicopters, they used to take the, the doors off of the police helicopters when it was warm. So they were circling, and I remember him pointing at me. So I pointed back with that one-finger salute that I often did when the police cruisers came by. And I was like, yeah, whatever. So I sat back on the porch. Within 30 seconds, a swarm of police cruisers came up. They snatched us off the porch, me and my friend, and he slammed my face down into the mud. And he put that shotgun on the back of my neck, and he cocked it. And all I could feel was that cold, hard steel, that metal just pressed on the back of my neck. And I honestly could not figure out why this happened. And he said, if you move, he would kill me. 
So I laid there. Next thing you know, I'm in handcuffs. I'm in the back of the car. And these same drug dealer friends, the real gang members and drug dealers, are staring at me. And they're trying to tell the cops, like, let him go. He's a good one. He doesn't cause any problems. They had me in the back of the car. And the only thing they would tell me was that I broke into a house and just burglarized it when I literally just walked home from school. So I'm in disbelief. I'm in the back of this cop car. Can't believe how I got here. And I start crying because like I told you I'm soft now so I'm crying and I'm thinking I wasn't a big guy I was like I'm gonna go to jail they're gonna drop the soap and I'm just my butt I can't make it like this is what I'm thinking I can't make this up so I'm like oh I can't drop the soap don't drop the soap so now we're driving down the street and we are I'm going to juvie jail and as we're driving off my house got smaller and smaller And the tears got bigger and bigger. And as we were going downtown, I'll never forget on the police radio, they said, he's code four. For anybody now being the police, I know code four means no action. He didn't do it. He's innocent. They brought me back home. Thankfully, the one neighbor at the end of the street said it absolutely was not him. And they ended up catching the perpetrators later. So thankfully they let me go, but I had a lot of disdain for police after that and a lot of resentment. And I was just trying to figure out my life. So fast forward now, I graduate high school. Well, prior to graduating high school, I was a really good athlete. And again, these same drug dealers and gang members, they always kept me out of trouble. And it was so important to them. And they always would tell me, you're different. You're going to make it. Whatever you do in life, you're going to be very successful. We don't want you to be like us. So they always, always encouraged me to be that. And I always, always had that in the back of my mind, never knowing exactly what I was going to do. But the fact that these guys that engage in the behavior and activity that they do thought so highly of me really meant something. So I graduated high school, went to the United States Army, did that for a couple of years. I got out, wasn't really sure what I was going to do. I had a part-time job at a retail store, met an officer who was working uh, off-duty or special duty at the store. Uh, his name is Alan Blackman. He just retired last year after 32 years of service. Great, great man. Uh, he said, hey, I think you would be a really good officer. And I said, heck nah, not me. And he said, no, you should do a ride-along. And I said, no, I've been in the back of cop cars, bro. I'm good. I'm not doing that again. And he said, no, you ride in the front seat. And I'm like, I didn't even know that was a thing. So... I was like, okay, I'll try it out because he kept hounding me every day. He saw me for like a month straight. So I do the ride along. I did the night shift in the same neighborhood that I actually grew up in. And from day one, I was hooked that night. Just seeing how the officers interacted and these groups were so cool and how they did things. I said, hey, man, where were y'all at when I used to get picked up for no reason? And they're like, I don't know. But uh, the point is, I recognize from the other side that these officers were risking their lives for people they didn't even know, risking their lives, putting all of it out on the table, and they did so much for people while they slept and had no idea the amount of things that they did. And that night it was cool. It was like an episode of Cops, like we got in a foot chase, and there was a stolen car, and it was all the things. Now I know that happens very rarely. But at the time, that was like the best night of my life. And so I said, okay, I'm going to do it. So... Fast forward, I go through the process, I get the job, I'm super thankful, but the most important thing to me was going back to the same neighborhood that I grew up 
And not only did I do that, but I did it for 10 years straight without leaving the exact beat of the neighborhood I walked through every single day. And why that was important to me, because specifically little black and brown kids, when they would see the police when we were growing up at their age, there was always fear. There was always misunderstanding and not understanding or knowing why officers do what they do. So I made it a point to always get out and talk and walk the beat, literally walk the beat and get to know every single person. So specifically the young people could understand that not all police are bad and we actually work really, really hard to make everyone safe. And if you do the right things and you keep on the straight and narrow, you'll be just fine. So thankfully that is a great thing for me. After all of these years, one of the other funny stories that I remember during my field training was being in that same neighborhood that I grew up in and we're sitting there and when you're out in field training, you have a, your coach and then you're just driving. And I'll never forget hearing three gunshots back to back to back, like three blocks from where I live. And I just sat at the stop sign and my coach looked at me like, uh, you're going to do something about that. And I said, oh, shh. I'm the police now. I don't have to run away. I have to run to it. So I run to the car, end up actually catching the person that was firing off the shots. And I realized even when I was capturing someone doing something very bad and very dangerous, the fear that he had in his eyes, he really thought that I was going to unnecessarily use force. And the fact that I was able to take him into custody safely and, and talk him through everything. And we had a long conversation that night after the shots, and he was just shooting off shots. Not a bad kid just because he had got a gun from his friend. And my point in that specific story, why that is so important to me, is after we had that conversation, now he still had to go to jail, but after that, yeah, he still went to jail. After that conversation, uh, that young man, I, I didn't see again, never thought anything about it, and I literally saw him six years later and he had told me that was the best thing that ever happened to him. And that turned him around. And he is a very successful businessman in the city of Columbus as we speak. So my point to all of my story is if I can make it out and I loved where I came from and the people that I surrounded myself with, good or bad, that anybody can make it. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to the Columbus Storytellers Project. Get details and tickets for our next show at dispatch.com slash attend storytellers and support local journalism and the Storytellers Project by subscribing to local journalism at dispatch.com slash subscribe now.